We're in the middle of a spiritual warfare series. This month we're talking about how Satan sabotages relationships. And I talk about something this morning that I think all of us have been through to one degree or another. Betrayal is the opposite of righteousness. Righteousness is the fulfilling of the demands of a relationship. Betrayal is specifically not fulfilling the demands of a relationship. And Satan is in the thick of our deceiving one another for our own supposed good. It's very clear in Scripture that one of Satan's earmarks was betrayal. I'm going to read to you from the 22nd chapter of Luke. And I'm going to talk about two very different people. One was Judas, who was a scoundrel almost from the beginning, who pointed toward betrayal from the moment Christ chose him. Read John chapter 6, verse 70. When Jesus says, did I, knew, choose, did I not choose you? And yet one of you is a devil. He knew it from the beginning. Betrayal is inevitable in a certain number of relationships. But specifically, it says, And Satan entered into Judas, who was called Iscariot, belonging to the number of the twelve, and he went away and discussed with the chief priests and the officers how he might betray Jesus to them. Then, in just the next little bit, it talks about the disciples who love Jesus and who intend to stay true to him. And Jesus turns to one of them, Simon Peter, supposedly his strongest, and says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded, you, d- demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and, once, and you, once you have turned again, Now look, Jesus sees it coming. He knows it's going to happen. But he's already predicting that when he comes back from that betrayal, all right, once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And he said to him, Lord, I'm with you. I'm ready to go both to prison and to death. And he said, I say to you, Peter, the cock will not crow today until you have denied me three times. Now, you can read the rest of that chapter and how they went actually on to deny him and betray him. Uh, But for our purposes, it's a beginning. It's a beginning. I want to say three things to you this morning, three overall things. First of all, I want to question your theology and how seriously in your relationships you really take the doctrine of radical and pervasive sinfulness for all mankind. Secondly, I want to teach you how to assess a relationship after you've been betrayed. How to take a look at it again. Third, I would like to help you make a couple of amendments to your life that you may not have made yet, especially if you are still dealing with betrayal. The first one is a very brief point. 
We say, yes, we believe that sin is radical and pervasive. We say, yes, we believe all men are sinners, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We repeat that without ever thinking about it, but let me challenge you at this point. I don't think you really believe it. I don't think that any of us believe that about our loved ones or want to believe it about our loved ones. I think for all of us, we want to make exceptions to that doctrine. We want to say, I know there are a lot of sinful people out there. I know all people are sin, but not my husband, not my wife, not my kids, not my best friend. I think they're basically good. And I don't think they would ever betray me. I don't think they would ever turn me in. I don't think, I think if it came right down to it, boy, it became between me and them, uh, it would be me. No. All of us have traitorous instincts. Even those of us who have given our lives to Christ, even those of us whose identity is in Christ, still at any moment, because of the radical and pervasive and persistent nature of sin, because of Satan's intent to destroy our lives and especially to destroy our relationships, any of us can fall. There is only one righteous, and his name is Jesus. There is only one dependable, righteous person, and it's not me, and it's not you, and it's not anybody we love. We need to stop looking to people for more than they are or more than they have. Second, what do you do? What do you do after you've been betrayed? How do you react to that? And all of us have in varying degrees. And all of us have betrayed in very varying degrees. What do you do when you are the recipient of a tremendous disappointment? Four things. Let me name them all for you. Number one, have a funeral. Grieve. Have a funeral. Say to yourself... I admit that that relationship will never again be the same for me as it once was. Have the courage, will you please, to let the ideal be broken. All of, all of us are idealists. All of us want perfect relationships. But... Some of us are continuing idealists. That is, we dig our way out of the rubble to, to see another ideal. And some try to preserve the original ideal at the cost of truth. That's not, that's not a way to live. It's not a way to live to say, oh, they didn't really mean it. Oh, oh they, they really were thinking, oh, it's just a mistake. Oh, golly, oh, gee. We can really patch this thing up. It can be the way we always dreamed it would be. No, it can't be. There are cracks. There is brokenness. There is disappointment. There is memory that will never leave. Have a funeral. Let it die. Remember who we worship. We worship the resurrected one. We don't fear death. We don't fear brokenness. We worship the one who brings life out of death. 
not the one who always tries to preserve life as you once thought it could be. Second, it is very important that you ask, Lord, why did this happen? What purpose did you have in this? Now, let me just rehearse for you that God is sovereign. And at any point in time, and this will make some of you real mad at God, but that's okay, because this is how he operates, and how he operates is perfect. At any given point, if God is sovereign, if God can intervene in the affairs of men, and he can, and God did not stop that betrayal in its tracks, then you are left with one conclusion. He had a purpose that was even greater than if it had never happened. That's your conclusion. Now let me ask you this. Are you going to waste all your time trying to forget about it and trying to cover it open over and try to pretend like it never happened instead of finding out that purpose? You're losing the opportunity of the beauty that comes out of evil. You're losing that, that time when you can... When you can Question what God is going to make out of this thing. Jesus questioned on the cross, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why? Now, I used to think, and I was taught when I was in seminary, by, I mean, we came, I came through during the, the counseling era, the touchy-feely tea group era, you know, See a stranger, spill out your guts, right? Everything was emotions, you know. Be free with your, you know, all this kind of stuff. And they used to say, Hunter, when somebody cries out why, you've got to realize they don't really want to know why. It's just a cry of pain. And I bought it. For the first number of years in my ministry, I would go to people who had horrible tragedies. Babies dying, car accidents, and... and, and horrible kinds of ripping, destructive relationships. And they'd look and they'd say, why? And I'd avoid the question, thinking they just need to say that. They just need to get it out. One time I went to a couple who was a mature Christian couple. I respected this couple. And they'd had a tragedy. And they sat there and they're thinking to themselves and they're thinking out loud, Lord, why? And I said, you know, you don't really want to know why. That's just a cry of pain. And they looked at me and said, no, we really want to know why. And I said, oh, yeah, well, yeah, me too. See, it dawned on me that there was a very good reason. It doesn't mean that it's not an automatic cry of pain, but it means that it is a deep, felt need. When Jesus said, why hast thou forsaken me? He was not only crying out in pain, he was looking for the historical significance of that. If you will look in Psalm chapter 22, you will see that he was repeating, he was repeating a messianic psalm. Read the first verse of the 22nd psalm. And it says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Far from my deliverance, are the words of my groaning. 
And that psalm goes on to develop what is happening in his life in historical perspective, both in his past and how God can use it in the future. If you will look at verse 9, it says, Yet thou art he who didst bring me forth from the womb. Thou didst make me trust when upon my mother's breasts, upon thee I was cast from birth. In other words, you had a purpose for me when I was born, right? And that purpose can carry through. And there can be something great happen from this. Look in verse 26. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will worship thee. For the, Lord, for the kingdom is the Lord's and he rules over the nations. Verse 30, posterity will serve him. It will be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They will come and will declare his righteousness to a people who will be born that he has performed it. In other words, Jesus was saying, there is history in what is happening to me. It is not an accident. It is not a surprise to God. It is not a surprise to me. God not only had a plan from my birth, for my birth, he has a plan for the future of what's happening to me right now. He has that same plan for you. There was, a, there was a, an English painter, E.H. Landseer. And one time he was having dinner in a pub in England, and someone the table next to him uh, was telling a fish story. And this waitress came by with a pot of tea, and of course... You know, when you tell fish stories, your arms fly out so that you can show how big the fish was. And his arms flew out and knocked that pot of tea out of her hands, crashing it against the wall. And there was a horrible stain on the wall. And you know what water does. It just goes everywhere. The owner of the tavern came over and said, this is horrible. You know, I'm going to have to repaint this whole wall and started yelling at the girl and Landseer was there and looked at the stain and he looked at the owner and he said wait a minute wait a minute let me play with this and and if you don't like it then you can paint it over well he looked at it as it dried and he brought over his paints and he got out his brushes and his linseed oil and his pigment and he began to shadow here and color there and everybody stood around while he watched those terrible streaks grow into the wonderful antlers of a buck. And the brown spots grow into the beautiful underbrush of the habitation of this deer. And when he stepped back, it was the most wonderful picture of a stain. You understand? God doesn't let things happen to you that can't be more beautiful than if they never happened. Therefore, don't whitewash it. Don't cover it over. Don't deny it. You just keep saying, God, why? You show me. Why? Now, you may not know right away. But is that any reason to give up? There's no reason to give up. Please, if you do, you waste the reason. Now, third, it's very important that you begin, that you resist 
your automatic need for an immediate resolution to the problem. Most people say, I'm leaving or I'm forgiving him. You know? Those are the two things. I'm leaving, I can't stand this anymore, this is it, or I'm not going to deal with it, I'm just going to go on and live my own life. See? While I'm living with him. Wait a minute. First of all, you need to analyze as much as you can about the particular type of betrayal and, and why, I'll tell you in a minute. But take a look as much as you can. You know, Scripture, very specifically, lists at least three kinds of betrayal. There was the betrayal of Judas, there was the betrayal of Jesus, or I mean, of, of Simon Peter, and there was the betrayal of Demas. Demas was the one who Paul wrote back and said, you know, first time he mentions this, Demas, our fellow worker in the Lord. The second time he says, and Demas is with us. And the third time he says, Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted us. So there was the betrayal of Demas. Now look, look at the characteristics here. Judas intended to betray Jesus. In, Matthew, or in John chapter 12, verse 4, it says this, But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was intending to betray him. All right? You have people in your life that you can read right now who will betray you. And you know it. And you're denying it. You're denying their character. You can see it. You can't believe how many people I talk to who are absolutely crushed. And I say, this must be a horrible shock. And they say, no, I knew it was coming. They knew it was coming. They could see it. I've known this for years. I've seen it coming for years. And they didn't do anything about it. They never faced it. Judas intended to betray Jesus. Simon Peter didn't. I mean, he loved him. Simon Peter had himself convinced he could never betray anybody. Just like you and I do. We convince ourselves, oh, that's not us, you know. Everybody else is sinful, but not us. We don't have those things in us. We don't. My wife doesn't have that in her. See, that's what I was. <laughs> jail, death. I don't care. Take me with you. But his was a spontaneous betrayal. He got himself in a mess, and he panicked. You have people in your life that are good, meaning, well-intentioned people, but they've gotten themselves in a mess, and they and they panic. They've they panicked out of fear, see? And it, and it came down to, to you or them, and so they sacrificed you. All right? That's one type of betrayal. There's a third type of betrayal, Demas, where it, there's nothing personal about They don't even know they betrayed you. They just kind of drifted off. Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted us. Demas, like a sheep, nibbled himself lost, never looked up. You have people in your life who you thought you could count on. They're not there. They're not even thinking of you. They never said intentionally in their mind, I'm going to deny this person. They just wandered off. That's a kind of betrayal also. Judas betrayed in order to cover up his own sinfulness. John 12.6 says this, now, he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. Judas had stole the money. 
And instead of facing his partner, Jesus, with the truth, he sacrificed a relationship. How many of you, rather than face your own sinfulness, will just say, see ya? You don't want to face it. Sin clings to the darkness. And rather than be brought to the light, rather than give up that sinfulness, you will betray the one who has been given to you. Peter wasn't trying to cover anything up. He's just afraid. Just plain afraid. Got intimidated. And Demas was stupid. Just dumb. He didn't intend anything. What was the purpose for it? The purpose of Judas's was his own destruction. Sin kills sin. The wages of sin is death. That was the purpose. And you can read Matthew 27, and you can read Acts chapter 1, and you can see exactly what happened to Judas. There are people in your lives who have betrayed you, and they will betray everybody they get, and they will destroy themselves. Period. That's it. There is no beneficial purpose for them out of that. It is towards their own destruction. They don't understand maybe where they're going, or maybe they do, and they just intend on going there anyhow. But there is no redemption. There is no redemption. In Peter's life, there is a redemption. There is a purpose, and the purpose is ministry. Can you imagine Peter coming back to the Lord and realizing for the first time, Lord, I'm not strong. All my life I've been a leader. All my life I've been able to stand up to people. But when push comes to shove, I've got nothing. You're going to have to fill me. You're going to have to do your ministry in me. It took that for Peter to realize his own sinfulness and his own wickedness and his own emptiness and his own cowardice. That's what it took. So that's the reason God let that happen. And that is the wonderful picture. I mean, a couple of months later, Peter's out preaching to thousands of Jews. He's not scared of a servant girl anymore. He got filled up with the Spirit, and the whole world isn't safe from Peter. But it took that. What about Demas? What was the purpose there? We don't know. It never says. And there may be people in your life, and you can't tell the purpose of the betrayal. You don't know. They just drifted off and you lost track. We don't know. But there are different types of betrayal. And it's to your advantage to gauge how that happened and what type of betrayal it is so that you can do the fourth thing that I'm just about to tell you. It is very, very, very important that you reevaluate your approach to that relationship. Now, please hear me when I say that. I am not saying give up that relationship. I am saying reevaluate your approach to that relationship. Friends, Christians are wonderful people. But they give out the stupidest advice when it comes to stuff like this. You go to some sweet Christian airhead and they'll do this he's betrayed me 
And they'll say, well, you just need to love him and forgive him and just go on like nothing ever happened. Do me a favor. Don't ever offer advice that requires a lobotomy. (laughs) Don't ever offer advice that requires people not to think. Jesus never said, just forgive them. Luke 17, 3. If he sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. We rush in with this repentance or this this forgiveness. Oh, that's okay. That's okay. I'm a Christian. I love you with the love of the Lord. That's not the love of the Lord, by the way. That's the love of milk toast. That's not the love of the Lord. I love you with the love of the Lord. That's okay. And what do you do? You continue the sin. You continue the habit. You continue the destruction. If he sins, rebuke him. It is so important. When Satan is involved in a relationship... Not to stop loving, but to love appropriate to where the other person is. Love with your eyes open. Listen, when we are alone with the Lord and we're praying, lots of times we close our eyes. When you are praying for someone's deliverance from Satan, do you pray with your eyes closed? You had better not. You had better pray with your eyes open because you better know what's going on. When Satan's involved, you've got to keep your eyes open when you're praying. You understand? It's the same thing when people are betraying you and Satan is involved. You've got to pray with your eyes open. You've got to love with your eyes open. You can't stop thinking. God doesn't require that. God requires exactly the opposite. That we love appropriately and accurately. Now, you know, sometimes my kids... Have, have lied to me. There have been times when my kids have lied to me. And I found out about it. And they'll stand there and they'll say, Dad, but Dad. And they, got, they, 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 they wheel off this wonderful story. And then they'll say, Don't you believe me? And I'll say, No. <laughs> you just lied to me. Now, sometimes I believe that You believe you. I don't believe you. I want to believe you, and someday maybe I'll be able to believe you again. But right now I think you're lying through your teeth. This is self-preservation. Let's be realistic. I love you, and there's nothing I'd rather do than to trust you. That's going to take a long time to rebuild. And you know what? For honest people, that's no threat at all. It's no threat at all. I've had people say, it's going to take a long time for me to trust you. And I say, great. You watch as long as you need to. That's great. So love with your eyes open. Because that is what's best not only for you, but for that person. Now, two amendments to your life if you're still dealing with the betrayal. First of all, it is very important 
very, very important that you take the opportunity to relocate your trust in the Lord. Relocate your trust in the Lord. Relocate that relationship in Him. Put it back in His hands. Go to Psalm 24, where the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and all who dwell in it are His. Put that back in His hands. That's where it belongs. That's where your security belongs. And number one, do not let that hurt control your life. You say, this will not control me. I know you're in horrible circumstances, and I know the circumstances are bad. But circumstances were never meant to make our theology. I mentioned to you Jeff and Devita. They're down in the hospital. They have an Indian doctor, and, and uh, they just are very open about their faith. And they asked their doctor if, if he was a Christian, and he said, No, I'm not. I'm not a believer. I see too much suffering every day to believe in God. And I'm watching this young mother with a month-old baby hold this baby while this baby has seizure after seizure. And her faith in God grows stronger and stronger. And I say, what's the difference? The difference is this. That the doctor is letting the circumstances decide his theology. And the mother is letting the Lord decide her theology. That's the difference. And the reason that God lets us suffer at all like the pagans suffer is so that the world can see the difference between the way a Christian handles suffering and the way a pagan handles suffering. That's the reason. I will not let this control me. I heard a wonderful story last night. The newcomers were telling their... Were telling their uh, um, testimonies. And there's one gal um, in that class who told her story about she had suffered from, uh, I think it's agoraphobia, where it's a fear of going outside. And she had been a prisoner in her own house for five years, had not left, had not left her house for five years. She was scared to death. Well, at the beginning of that, she accepted the Lord and she asked the Holy Spirit to come fill her up. But listen to this. The Holy Spirit did not heal her instantaneously. She was still afraid. Well, she must not have got it right then, huh? No. She just kept believing. She just kept believing. Five Years later, she could leave her house only with someone to help her go out in public, a close friend, for another five years. This Thursday, she's leaving for Mexico on a missions trip. You know what God taught her? God taught her 
that the circumstances will not conquer her life. God taught her that you don't have to not be afraid in order to learn how to walk through fear. She said, if you can walk through fear, nothing can stop you. You understand? You know the old joke about how you doing? And somebody says, well, pretty good under the circumstances. And somebody else says, what are you doing under there? That's what she learned. Not how to be healed instantaneously, but how God could form His life and courage in her when there was no evidence of healing. And she, listen to this quote from Habakkuk. She brought this quote along. I love this. I never get the quote from Habakkuk. Third chapter. Starts with verse 16. I heard... And my inward parts trembled. That's what happens when somebody who's afraid. They just hear, maybe about going outside, and they begin to shake inside. And she was shaking the whole time she was talking to me about this. The sound of my lips, at the sound, my lips quivered. Decay enters my bones. And in my place, I tremble. Because I must wait quietly for the day of distress. For the people to arise who will invade us. Now watch this. Something happens here. She turns around. She makes a decision. She makes a decision that fear is not going to control her life. Listen to this. Though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olives should fail, and the fields produce no food, and though the flock should not or should be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stalls. Yet, I will exalt in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. And He has made my feet like deer's feet, and has made me walk in high places. Don't you let that betrayal and that hurt and the fear control your life. It doesn't have to go away before God can teach you how to be victorious. And one more thing. You say to yourself, I will not only not let it control my life, I will not let it characterize my life. The natural reaction to betrayal is hardness and bitterness and regression. If you are not retreating, you have decided you will never be hurt again. And for that reason, you will not trust. You will not love. You will power over other people. There's a problem with that. The problem is, those who can't love are prisoner. Those who can't love don't know the experience of the nature of Jesus Christ, who was the original wounded, who was the original betrayed, who was the original 
Let me let me show you something here. In Macbeth, I'm sorry, not Macbeth, Othello. Othello. Othello, by the way, if you want a theology of betrayal and how Satan works in a relationship to get two people who love each other to betray each other, it's a perfect analogy. Truth written is always good theology. And in this, Shakespeare writes a character by the name of Iago. And Iago is almost a almost a, a perfect, now let me use another word, he is an accurate demonic character who, by insinuation, now there's that word again, right? That's how Satan works, by insinuation, reminds you of the garden, insinuate. All right? By insinuation, be, begins to build suspicion between Othello and Desdemona. And finally convinces Othello by the most narrow, the most, the most um, nebulous of evidence that Desdemona has been untrue. And in a scene, Desdemona is looking at Iago, doesn't know that Iago is the one who is trying to sabotage the relationship. And she looks at him, she says, Good Iago, I don't know how I lost him. I don't know how to get him back. And then she begins to feel the oppressiveness of the harm he may do her. And she says this, Unkindness may do harm, and his unkindness may destroy my life but it will never taint my love. Jesus could have said that to us, huh? Unkindness <laughs> may do harm and, and your unkindness destroyed my life, but it never tainted my love. Let's do some work. Um, I'm going to ask Lloyd to come out and and sing to us a song that will talk about the healing that is in Christ. And during this time, if you would, would you pray that God would deal with you for any reactions that you need to have if you're going through betrayal. Ask that God would give you a reason why. Ask that God would open your eyes how to love appropriately. But ask that God would teach you how to continue to love as Christ continues to love us. As always, the altar is open. Sometimes it helps to come and kneel down. Um, we can have folks pray uh, with you if you like we'll be over in this section over here some of us will be kneeled down if you want to pray with somebody we'll be glad to pray with you but during the next few minutes let's just go to the Lord and let's listen and let's put our trust back in Him instead of in people